Yeah. <laughs> Let's lift our hearts and our eyes up to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy thank towards you. us. We thank you for your grace today. And we thank you in advance for the word that we are about to receive. Let it enter into our hearts and be fruitful in our lives. Bless the pastor. Give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Claudia. So I have, I'm particularly excited about today's um, story. We're doing uh, a, a series called Amazing Adventures in the Story of God. And so we're exploring all of these big, major stories in the scripture. Today, we explore Jacob wrestling with God. Um, and I hear some snickers in the congregation because I, you know, as a young man, I wanted to get involved in athletics. I tried out for the baseball team. I don't know how, but I made the baseball team, the Little League baseball team. Um, I didn't have a stellar baseball career. Um, my batting average for two years in Little League was zero. Uh, that means I never actually hit the ball in, in, in a single game. Um, I don't think I actually hit the ball in practice. Um, my fielding wasn't much better. In two years of Little League, I never caught a fly ball, um, and I never, gra- I never, I never uh, fielded a ground ball. I never actually touched a ball in two years in a game in Little League, except when I got beaned by a ball while batting, for which I was grateful because that meant I would get on base. So uh, baseball didn't turn out to be my sport. Um, I then tried out for peewee football, um, peewee being the operative word. Uh, I only weighed about 86 pounds. At the time, I was flattened on the field by um, much bigger guys, 12-year-olds with mustaches. It was very strange. And so football wasn't, wasn't my sport. Um, I, didn't even, I, didn't even th- I didn't even try basketball. My dad was a great basketball player, had a fadeaway jumper. I finally beat my dad in a game of uh, 21 after he had had a quadruple bypass surgery and he was in his 60s. Uh, I beat him by one basket. Um, <clears throat> so basketball wasn't my game. But, but one day when I was a little kid, I walked into a gymnasium and there were a bunch of guys wrestling. And I looked at these guys wrestling and I go, that's for me. Because you're competing with somebody your own size. You win or lose based on your own skill. Uh, you're going mano a mano. It's you against somebody else. And I just thought, that's the sport for me. And I, and I engaged in that sport for several years and absolutely loved it. We have a very powerful wrestler, Lee Furness, is here. And he's a wrestling coach. Um, so I, I, I actually consulted him about this sermon and asked him if he wanted to have a short match up on the stage. And then thought better of it. Um, but today we're going to be talking about a story in the scripture where Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob wrestles with God. Um, there's an amazing Olympic story about a, a, a young man named Jeff Blatnick. Jeff Blatnick was uh, in high school in New York in the mid-70s. His coach didn't have a 200-pound wrestler, didn't have anybody in that weight group to fill that slot, found Jeff walking through the hallways at school and said, you're on the team, you weigh more than 200 pounds. Jeff wasn't interested in wrestling at the time. Uh, but the coach was compelling and brought him into to, to the wrestling room, taught him how to wrestle. Three years later, Jeff Blatnick was the state champion, high school state champion. Went on to college, three times national champion. Amazing wrestler, incredible perseverance, incredible strength, you know, trained, skilled guy. Um, but he had one goal in mind, and that was to win a gold medal in the Olympics. 
The United States had never won a gold medal in Greco-Roman wrestling in the Olympics at that time. Uh, so he tried out for the 1980 Olympic team, uh, fought very hard to get on the team, made the team, and that was the year, if you recall, that the United States boycotted the Olympics. They were in Moscow. And so Jeff Blatnick's dreams were dashed. His hope of winning gold in the Olympics were stopped. Uh, he thought, well, perhaps I'll try out for 1984. But in 1982, uh, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and uh, they didn't know if he was even going to make it. So Jeff Blatnick went to the hospital, and he, he wouldn't give up hope. He wouldn't give up faith. He kept persevering. Uh, they removed his spleen. They removed his appendix. And uh, he went through radiation, chemotherapy. The cancer went into remission. In 1984, he tried out again for the Olympic team. He made the team. He got to the Olympics. He got through his first couple of rounds. Again, never, U.S. had never won a gold medal in this sport. He wrestled a, a, a Swedish guy named Thomas Johansson, who was a, an amazing world champion wrestler. And in the last period of the last round of the last match, Jeff Blatnick uh, took down Thomas Johansson and secured a win and got a gold medal for the United States. And it was, if you watch uh, the tape, it's an amazing, it's an amazing tape where Blatnick wins the match, runs out onto the mat, falls to his knees, prays, gets up, is weeping, and, you know, he's being, he's being interviewed, and he said, if I could take this gold medal and break it up into a bunch of little pieces and give it out to all the people who got me here, that's what I would love to do, you know. But his perseverance, his courage, his strength, his willingness to keep fighting is what put him in the, the position of winning the first gold medal for the U.S. It's an amazing story. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit today about another person who overcame great odds and persevered um, to, to wrestle with God and ultimately prevailed. Last week, you remember, we talked about Abraham uh, and, and the sacrifice and the test. Abraham was um, the sort of the father of the faith. He's the patriarch of the ancient Israelite religion. And uh, God was trying to teach Abraham and educate a Abraham to be able to build a nation through whom God could manifest himself in the earth, through whom God could reveal himself to all of the world. And put Abraham through a series of tests. Abraham failed some of the tests and passed some of the tests. And the test culminated with the test of whether or not Abraham would be willing to sacrifice that which he loved the most. Um, Abraham, as you know, passed that test. We have this amazing image of Isaac walking up the hill of sacrifice with wood on his back for the sacrifice. Uh, where, uh, you know, a father is, is, is going to sacrifice a son. And it mirrors our gospel message of Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus walking up a hill with wood on his back and his father going to sacrifice him to save all of mankind. It's a beautiful image. Isaac, as you know, was not sacrificed. God provided a lamb uh, or a ram in the thicket. And Isaac grew to, to um, uh, find a wife. Um, there's a beautiful story. He married um, a, a beautiful woman named Rebecca. I'm sort of partial to, to uh, that name. Uh, and and um, Isaac, the, the story, the love story between them is amazing, although they did have their issues. And if we ever have a marriage seminar, we can, we can sort of uh, pluck apart that relationship. Um, but had a, a wonderful um, marriage to her. And they gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. Now, 
even before Jacob and Esau were born, there was strife. Uh, uh, Rebecca recounts that there was uh, sort of a battle going on in the womb. And God spoke to Rebecca and said, there are two great nations in, in your womb. And the, young, the older will serve the younger. Uh, and then the, the story happens that, so she gave birth and um, Esau was born. And the Bible describes Esau as sort of reddish, kind of a ruddy complexion and, and a little bit hairy. Um, so he's not a really cute baby. He's not like the ones that we saw in the picture. He's got a little bit of hair on him, and he's red, and he's kind of scary looking. And as he's born, the story says that Jacob so desperately wanted to be the firstborn that Jacob was grabbing on to Esau's heel when, when he was born and literally trying to, to pull, <laughs> pull his brother and win. Um, and then this is an image that we see throughout their life. Jacob and Esau grow up together. And Jacob, or Esau, is a strong, powerful hunter. He's a guy's guy. Uh, other men respect him. He's a warrior. He's strong. He goes out into the field. He, 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 he kills wild game. He brings it into the family. Um, he's, but, but, the, but the problem with Esau is that he's not sensitive to the responsibility of being the firstborn. One of, one of the responsibilities was to be the spiritual leader after the patriarch dies. And Esau is not sensitive to the ways of God. He's a strong, on his own, independent guy and not that concerned with with his relationship with God. Jacob, on the other hand, is a much sort of softer guy who liked to stay in the tent, more sensitive, more just quieter, you know, just a a gentler guy. Um, But he had a sensitivity to God uh, that Esau didn't have. And his mother loved Jacob. Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac, the father, loved Esau. And they were partial. One was partial to one. The other was partial to the other. And as Jacob grows up, we actually learn that the name Jacob means crooked or deceiver uh, or bent. You know, he's, he, it actually comes from the word heel because he's grabbing his brother's heel. And it has this connotation of someone who's willing to sort of fudge the rules a little bit to get what he wants. Um, and so this is how Jacob this grew into this name um, because as he grew up, he was always scheming, always finding a way to get what he wanted, not trusting in God. But for example, when he wanted the birthright, he wanted, to, he wanted all of the responsibilities and the benefits of being the firstborn. So one day the story goes that Esau was out in the field and he was hunting and he had been hunting for days and he was famished and he comes back towards his home, and Jacob is out there in the field and had prepared a large uh, bowl of stew. And Esau comes and says, I'm famished, I'm dying, can I please have some stew? And Jacob says, certainly you may have the stew, but I want to exchange it for your birthright. The birthright was basically um, a right that was given to the firstborn in in the ancient Israelite culture, whereby they would get a double portion of the inheritance when the father died, whereby they would become the sort of legal leader of the family. They would take the place, the role of authority that the father had uh, when the father passed. And they would also have spiritual authority. They would be the one to make the sacrifices and be the spiritual leader of the family. Jacob wanted all of that, but Esau was entitled to it. Jacob says, if you'll, you know, I'll give you some porridge. I'll give you some stew if you give me your birthright. 
And Esau says, what good is my birthright to me? He gives it to him, you know, just verbally. Um, but that's binding, okay? That's binding back then. So he gives him, he gives him the birthright. Um, and then the, the second time there's a, a major deceit in Jacob's life is when Isaac, his father, is starting to go blind. He's getting older. His eyes are getting dim, the Bible says. And it's time for Isaac to confer the actual birthright, the blessing upon Esau. And so Isaac tells Esau, his son, he says, go out in the field and find me uh, some wild game, bring it in, prepare it, we'll eat it, and I will confer upon you the blessing to which you are entitled. Okay? And so Esau says, okay, I'll do that. Rebecca is listening in the tent, and she wants the younger son, she wants Jacob to have the birthright. Are you following all this chronology, this lineage? Is that all right? So he, uh, he, so Rebecca says to Jacob, go get two goats, bring them to me, I'll prepare them, put on Esau's clothes, we'll put, we'll put uh, wool on your arms to make, you know, disguise your soft skin, um, and you can talk like Esau, and you can bring in food, and you can pretend to be Esau, and that way your father, who is blind, will confer the birthright upon you and by, by deceit, by trickery. Jacob says, that sounds fine, Mom. And so that's exactly what he does. He brings in two goats. He comes in. He's wearing Esau's clothes. Isaac, who's blind, says, you know, you don't sound like Esau, but you smell like Esau, you know, and, and you kind of feel like him, and you got his, you know. So uh, Isaac confers this blessing upon, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Isaac confers the blessing upon Jacob. Well, then Jacob leaves. Esau comes in and says, okay, Dad, I'm ready for my blessing. Isaac says, who are you? He says, I'm your son. I'm your firstborn son. I'm the one entitled to the blessing. And uh, Isaac says, I just conferred it on who I thought was you. It must have been your brother who tricked me. And of course, Esau is furious and vows at that moment that he is going to kill, not metaphorically, not allegorically. He's going to literally kill his brother, Jacob. Rebecca hears about it and she tells Jacob, run to my, my brother's house way up in north of Canaan. I just thought for your own enjoyment, I would show you a little map here. So they're down here in Canaan, and uh, right down there in the bottom by the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and all that. And Jacob has to go all the way up there to uh, Haran to where um, Rebekah's brother is. And he goes up there, to make a long story short, um, he goes up there, he meets his uncle, and he's met his match in terms of deceit. Because his, his uncle is no, uh, is no slouch at being a deceiver either. Jacob wants to marry one of the daughters, um, Rachel. And the uncle makes him work seven years. And then does a switcheroo. Of, we'll get into that story some other time. And actually gives the daughter, the less attractive daughter, to him in marriage by tricking him into it. And then Jacob has to work another seven years to get Rachel. He and Laban sort of don't get along very well after this, as you might imagine. Um, and so Jacob is coming back down at, at, at one point decides, I'm going to leave. I've got wives now. I've got children. I've got sheep. I've got cattle. I've got camels. I've got goats. I've got cows. I'm going back to the land of my father. This is, this is, this is about 200 years of history in about 15 minutes. Um, he says, I'm going back to the land of my father, but he's got a couple problems. Problem number one, he's got a father-in-law who's extremely angry 
who's in pursuit of him. He's got a brother who's extremely angry in front of him who wants to kill him. So he's got people coming from both directions. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you're kind of like stuck coming or going? You're between a rock and a hard place. That's Jacob, all right? And as the story goes, Laban finally catches up to him. They have it out. They bury the hatchet. They agree. They come to a covenant. They agree that they're not going to harm one another. So he's taken care of that one. But now he's got this other problem. He's got a brother that wants to kill him. So Jacob is coming back down uh, towards Canaan. And he thinks, you know, look, I've gotten as far as I've gotten by trickery and deceit and manipulation and buying my way and, you know, you know uh, evading and all of this kind of stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it up. So he tells his servants, I want you to take a bunch of goats, a bunch of camels, a bunch of animals, flocks, send them to my brother Esau and say, your servant Jacob wants you to have these. He's, he wants to make amends with you and please don't kill him. Um, so that's what he sends off. He sends off all of this stuff. The servants come back and they say, we met your brother Esau. He's coming after you with 400 men. It's not a welcome wagon. They're coming to kill you. Um, finally, this puts Jacob for the first time in his life in a position that he cannot get out of. He can't lie his way out. He can't cheat his way out. He's got no one to, 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 to deceive. He's got no way to get around this situation. And we learn in the scripture that this is the moment in Jacob's life where he stops and he falls on his knees and he says, God, I need you. I need you. I have managed by hook and crook to get everything I've gotten, but I can't get out of this one. I'm in trouble. And, he, and he's, the story says that he's at this creek and he stops there and he prays. He needs to get alone. He sends everyone away from him. And so this guy who is surrounded, he has two wives and two um, handmaid servants and he's got a bunch of kids and all of these animals. He says, I want everybody away from me. I need to get alone with God. And he kneels down and he begins to pray. And I want to just read you the scripture um, where this amazing event happens. Uh, it says, Jacob was left alone. And a man, he's, he's by the creek, it's night. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched Jacob's socket, his hip. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, the man said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. This is a great moment here because he says, what is your name? He says, my name is Deceiver. My name is Cheat. My name is Liar. My name is Crooked. And the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. God rules. Your name will be God rules. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So it's, it's, it's an amazing moment in the life of this man who we have seen fight his way, struggle his way his whole life, where finally he's in the middle of the night facing himself, facing the demons of his past, facing his failures, facing his flaws, facing everything that is 
has happened to him in his life. And he meets God. We, we read later that he's met God in that moment. It's an angel. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incarnation of God. It's, it's some sort of, it's, it's God meeting him in that moment. And he's prevailed because even though he's wounded, he's surrendered to God. He's finally said, God, I need you. And as we read further in the story, um, we learn that indeed his brother Esau does meet him, comes and falls on his neck and cries and kisses him and says, you're my brother, forgives him. And there's redemption and there's hope and the two um, um, men, you know, become, become friends and become brothers again. Um, it's an amazing story. And, and I just want to talk for a couple minutes today about some of the principles that I see that arise out of this story and that I think are extremely valuable and extremely important in your life and my life. Um, one of the first principles that I want to uh, discuss is don't be afraid to face your struggle head on. Um, there are a lot of ways that we face problems. Have, have, have any of you ever just tried to avoid a problem? Have you ever just avoided a problem or maybe denied a problem? Or some people just conform to the problem. Like a, a, an issue comes along and they don't even try to fight it. They just acquiesce to it. Whatever happens, fine, right? Um, there's a, when I, I lived for a few years in Los Angeles and um, I was a young man and I was, had, I was pretty broke and uh, I needed a car because I had a job delivering stuff. Um, and I needed a car. I found an 86 Subaru for sale. And this Subaru had a few problems with it. Um, one was a cracked engine block. Uh, one was um, bad brakes. Uh, but probably the worst problem with the car is that the person from whom I purchased it did not have rightful title to the vehicle. So um, there were a number of issues there. But um, I, I, you know, I, I avoided those issues. And I bought the car. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles, but parking tickets are $85, um, which is... Uh, 10% of the value of the vehicle. I purchased the vehicle for $800. So I wasn't in a position to pay those parking tickets when I got them. So they ended up just being put in the glove box of the car. Um, this, was, this was not... I, I don't recommend that anyone live this way. Um, thank God that it's, he's re- redeemed us and, and his grace. Um, but anyway, I avoided a number of problems with the, with the red Subaru. Uh, I would pull up to a, a, a traffic light. Smoke would billow out. If I ever saw a law enforcement officer... I would make a series of right-hand turns um, to get away because I knew that if they ever ran the plate, I'm, in, I'm, I'm busted. I'm completely in trouble. And sure enough, one day I was delivering something for my boss and I was, on, I was going eastbound on Santa Monica Boulevard away from the ocean and the, the cherry top comes up behind me. Uh, I pull over, turn the car off. Smoke, of course, is billowing from the oil hitting the cracked engine block. Uh, the officer comes up and he says, uh, you know, he sits in his car for a while before he comes up. And then he comes up and he says, you know, I'm going to have to impound this car, don't you? You know that, right? And I had just a last sliver of pride because I had just bought some new floor mats for the car. And, um, and they cost $14. So I said, all right, officer, listen, you can impound the car, but I'm keeping the floor mats those are mine. And uh, he kind of looked at me with that 
pitiful look. And he said, that, that's fine. You can, you can keep the format. Um, you know, if you avoid problems, Jim Simbola, the pastor up in Brooklyn Tabernacle, says, you're going to take care of the problem. You're just going to take care of it now, or you're going to take care of it later when it's worse. You know, so we're either avoiding, we're, we are denying, or we're conforming. Um, and God is telling us, I think, in this scripture and others, face that problem head on. Don't be afraid. To, you don't have to run like Jacob for 30 years before you face that issue in your life that you struggle with. Face it head on. Um, the scripture says, and John, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, but take heart. Be strong. Don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. In um, Romans, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This trial in your life, the struggle in your life, whatever it is, if it's a relationship, if it's a job, whatever it is, that struggle in your life is there in it to, if, you'll, if you'll allow it, it will test you. It will make you stronger. It will make you better. It will show you what God has for you if you will face that struggle head on. Um, there's a great uh, a quote by Frederick Douglass that I, I love. And he says, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation, they are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. In other words, if you want progress without a struggle, you can't, that you can't have that. We're going to struggle every time we move forward in life. Every time that there's a new horizon for us, there will be a struggle through which we have to come to achieve that next goal. Okay? The second point I just wanted to quickly touch on is stop trying to fight your battles by yourself. Stop trying to fight your battles by yourself. Um, there was a guy in my, in my high school. His name, I went to Pattonville High School. This guy's name was Lamont Head. Lamont was about six foot three. Not an ounce of fat on him. Pure muscle. Amazing athlete. Fastest guy. Strongest guy. Incredible balance. Great football player, great wrestler, amazing guy uh, from an athletic standpoint um, and, and an imposing, imposing figure. One night I was with some friends and we were at a party and apparently there were some guys from another school. There was an exchange of words. All my, all my analogies today are fighting analogies. I hope that's okay. Uh, there, were, there was an exchange of words between some guys from my school and some guys from this other school. Um, before I knew it, I found us all out on the lawn. And, you know, there was some trash talk going back and forth. But I kind of looked, looked around and did the math. And, um, you know, I fancied myself a decent wrestler. But I didn't really cut an imposing figure on the lawn, if you know what I mean. And there were like three of us and there were about eight of them. And I just remember thinking, this would be a great time for something to happen that would require me to run the other way. You know, maybe a fire or a tornado or like... Any reason that I could save face and go that way, I would really appreciate it. But then I noticed that the look on the faces of the guys from the other school changed. And I look over my shoulder. Lamont Head had just pulled up 
uh, on the lawn and got out of his car and it started walking our direction. And suddenly, <laughs> I felt more courageous. Um, <laughs> Lamont takes, and, I, and I'm not joking, takes off his shirt and starts talking back to these other guys. And I remember standing kind of like behind his shoulder, and his shoulder was about here. And I remember going, yeah! Ha! So, um, <laughs> thankfully, no blows were thrown. Everything was calm. People dissipated. Um, but I got to tell you, it was a lot better facing that challenge with Lamont than it was without Lamont. I can tell you that right now. Um, two points I want to make real quickly in this, in this section is, don't, don't do this by yourself. Bring other people into your fight. Bring other people. I'm talking about other people in your church, other people in your life group, other people in your community group, other advisors. Bring counselors into your struggle. Bring people into your struggle that are going to help you through the struggle. Don't fight alone. Do not fight alone. Ecclesiastes 4.19, two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Bring people into your struggle to help you come through the fight. I guarantee you that just talking about the problem with someone else is going to make the problem seem a lot smaller. It will just diminish that problem for you. And the other point I want to make here is bring God into your struggle. Bring God into your struggle. Don't try to be out there on your own fighting the challenges of your life by yourself. Um, Deuteronomy, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Psalms uh, 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Romans 8, 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Does any of these things, are they going to separate you from God? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't go into battle alone. Let God be in your battle with you. Amen? And the last point I want to make is rejoice in the struggle because the struggle produces transformation. My last fighting analogy. There's a guy, a Canadian, named George St. Pierre. Um, he is considered by many to be the number one or the number two pound-for-pound greatest fighter of all time. Uh, we won't hold his Canadian citizenship against him. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, he is a great, great fighter, and he does mixed martial arts. So he's a wrestler, and he's a striker, and he does... Um, jiu-jitsu, and all, every manner of, of fighting that you can imagine. Um, and he was a rising star many years ago in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, which is the, the governing body. Um, and he was a rising star in that world and fought and won the title and was sort of cruising along through his career. And he was 
put up against a guy named Matt Serra. And Matt Serra is also a good fighter, a talented fighter, a skilled fighter, a guy from New York, but nowhere near on the level of George St. Pierre. It's just, he's just not on that level. In fact, pre-fight, the odds were 11 to 1. He, uh, Matt Serra was an 11 to 1 underdog. Um, no one, literally no one expected Matt Serra to win the fight. Uh, I don't know if George St. Pierre got distracted, didn't train hard, didn't take him seriously, sort of got maybe a little lazy. It's not clear. But in the first period of the fight with Matt Serra, uh, Matt Serra clipped George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre went down and Matt Serra finished the fight to the shock and amazement of the fight world. Um, this could have been a devastating moment for George St. Pierre. This could have been a, one of those moments that sort of psychologically messes up a fighter. But George St. Pierre went back to the drawing room, retooled, re- refigured his game, and came back out. This was in 2007. From that day to this, not only has George St. Pierre never lost a fight, he's never lost a period within a fight. In each fight that he fights, there are five periods. He's never lost one period in one fight. He, and he credits his, his incredible success to the loss against Matt Serra. Because it was that loss, it was that challenge, it was that struggle that radically altered the way he approached fighting. And that is what he credits with his current success. What does all that mean? That means that your suffering is a signal to the purpose that God has for you. Your pain is a signal to the purpose that God has for you in your life. Your failing, your shortcoming, your struggle, whatever it is, that is a signal to what God has for you in your life. Romans 5, 4 says, We also rejoice, we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to just close with this. Some of you today are wrestling with a relationship that is not going the way that you want it to go. Or maybe you want to be in a relationship and you're struggling or wrestling with the aloneness or a sense of loneliness because you're not in a relationship and you want to share love with someone, with someone and you're just not finding that. Some of you may be struggling today with a job where you just don't feel like that's the right job for you. It's not working for you. You don't enjoy it. It's a drudgery. Some of you are wishing that you had a job. You've lost a job and you're struggling with the anxiety and the dread of how am I going to pay the bills? Some of you are struggling with guilt and shame from your past, issues of your life that you wish that you could erase, but you can't. And so you still find yourself struggling with that, ashamed and feeling guilty. Some of you may be struggling uh, with the fact that you have a child who has lost his way or her way. And your wish that you could, or a sibling, a brother or sister, you wish that you could reach out to that person. You wish that you could bring them the joy and the love and the um, grace that you have found for yourself. But you can't do it. Some of you may be struggling 
with a sense of hopelessness and despair because you've lost your faith. You were hurt in a church or some life circumstance hurt you and you can't seem to get over that and you struggle with that on a daily basis. I want to encourage each and every one of you that are struggling in each and every one of these ways of your life. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Face that struggle. Face that struggle head on because that struggle will be a key to the destiny that God has for you. I firmly believe that. I don't think that we're accidents. I, I, I don't believe that we're accidents. I don't believe that the life that we lead is random or accidental. I believe that God is guiding our lives. He's sovereign and his will will be done in our lives. And so when we experience something that brings us pain or hurt, use that to transform you into the person that God wants you to be. Face that. Rejoice in that. And don't face it alone. Call upon God. If you're coming through a challenge or a struggle and you have battle scars, you're like Jacob. He's got a limp. The the scripture says that the hip came out of socket and from that day forward he limped. But you know what? That was his reminder to rely upon God. Because in our weakness we're made strong through Christ. It's when we expose our weakness to him that he can allow us to be strong. Your pain is a signal of your purpose. Your struggle is a signal of your strength. Your failure is a door to your destiny. Engage the battle today. Engage the battle because, as the scripture says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. You may struggle all night like Jacob and the angel, but when dawn breaks, he says, I'm going to change your name I'm going to turn you into the person that you want to be. Persevere. Stay with me. You're mine, says the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.